Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ with our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Done. 
that we're gonna see that it was better than we grew up together. I don't think you have to leave if the change is what you need. You can change right next to me. When your heart takes the loss, you can have and I can flow. And we'll take it slow And we'll grow as we go Grow as we go Grow as we go Let us pray. Loving God, you ask us to grow. You make us to change, to live in new ways with you and with each other. So we give you thanks that we don't have to grow alone, that you've given us this community of people trying our very best to follow you. As we settle ourselves into this moment in time in this particular space, may we not take it for granted that we get to praise you. Amen. Let us stand and sing together.
truth is we need God. Every hour we need God. So I invite you to pray the prayer that is before you. Lord, have mercy on us. We disappoint ourselves. We disappoint each other. We disappoint you. Have mercy on us and help us to fully receive your grace so that we might live with more grace each day. the wind on our skin and the sun as it kisses our nose, God's mercies are new every morning. In Jesus, we are forgiven. We get to receive God's forgiveness and live at peace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 if you'd like to follow along. Listen now for God's word for you. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Title of today's sermon is 77 Times. How do you prepare to live with a roommate? I see some of you chuckling. That was the topic of a seminar 
for students that were about to enter the university campus. And the, the, the speaker said, if you expect your roommate to be the same as you, you are in for a pretty great surprise. Say you're an early riser. Well, you will most likely be paired with someone who likes to stay up all night. Say you like to eat off campus and study at the library. Well, then you will probably be matched with someone who will never leave your room. Say that you are okay with like one or two piles of clothes on the floor. That didn't hurt anybody, right? Well, you, you're gonna get someone who really likes things clean. They're probably making a chore chart for you right now. They're probably planning that Saturday mornings will be spent at 7 a.m. doing all the chores together. It's better, the expert says, if you expect that your roommate will be different from you. That's gonna set you up for some more realistic success. The speaker also talked about divvying up tasks. You know, it's a good idea when you live with someone else to decide who's gonna take out the trash and who's gonna run the vacuum, right? But the expert said, here's the trap that most people fall into. When you're divvying up those tasks, you try to divide it by the number of people in the household. So if it's just two of you, 50-50, right? That's fair. No. The expert says, don't fall in that trap because here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna do your 50%, right? And you're gonna keep track of that 50%. And your roommate might be doing their 50%, but they might do some of that when you're off at class. So here's what happens. You think I'm doing so much more than my roommate, right? I'm not seeing all that they're doing. No, the expert says, do this instead. Divvy up all the tasks, 100% of the work, but both of you take 70% of the tasks. Here's what's happened then you start to overlap, then you start to do some things together and that's where generosity breeds, that's where the trust begins to build. So do this because if you don't, if you don't and and you don't see the work that your roommate is doing when you're not there, then that, that anger can turn to bitterness and resentment and it can come out as passive aggressiveness and broken trust. We approach each other in this way, the 70% approach, then it fights this tendency that we all have to be more lenient on ourselves and more skeptical of others. Have y'all noticed that we have that tendency to be more lenient on ourselves and to be more skeptical of others? I'm gonna get real with you. I share a car with my spouse who is not here to defend himself today, so apologize for that. We share cars. Here's what happens when, let's say I fill up the gas tank mm, two times in a row. I start getting those feelings, like those thoughts. Does Tim ever fill up the gas tank? But then there's the other side of that, right? If I am, say I've gone, I don't know, two months, three months, and I've never filled up the gas tank during that time, I am quick to defend myself. Oh, it's been a busy month. You know, I don't have time even to stop at the gas station. Or even worse, I don't even recognize that it's getting filled up without me. We have this tendency to go easier on ourselves and people 
friends that we identify like us and more skeptical of people who are different from us. French sociologist and philosopher René Girard, he observed this in humanity and he encourages us to flip the switch. He says, how about we try to go a little more lenient on others and grow a little more skeptical of ourselves? Since it's our nature to be more lenient on ourselves, we have to course correct from time to time. And it's a part of the adjusting we have to do every day to be in relationship with anyone. Not just a college roommate or a spouse, but a colleague at work or a teacher at the middle school or the person serving your coffee. This Lent, we are following a path set out by priest Henry Nouwen, where we move from solitude. We start by ourselves, looking inward in solitude. And then last week, we moved to our spiritual community, to our friends. That's where we are now. And then we will stretch it outside of ourselves to serving our neighborhood and our community. So right now, we're in this community portion, the spiritual community portion. And Nouwen says this. He says, forgiveness is a requirement of community. I know if you listened to the sermon two weeks ago or if you were here, you might be thinking, Dawn, didn't we just talk about forgiveness? Like, can't we give it a break, you know, check that off for a little while? And you're right, we did just talk about forgiveness, but we focused on the solitude, the inner work, the work we need to do before we engage in anyone else. And now that we've moved into community, we've got to address forgiveness again, in particular, forgiving each other. For that's what Jesus calls us to do today. Nowen says that in any relationship, there's this very human tendency to expect that other to be everything to you, to fulfill all of our desires and our needs. Think about a friend. For a good friend, for someone to be considered a good friend, you want them to call you, right? And, and when they call you, you want them to be able to pick up on that, that shakiness in your voice that lets them know that you're not doing all right. And you want them to be able to put to the side what's going on with them so that they can care for you. You want them to remember birth dates and anniversaries and, and to be a faithful constant in your life, right? That's a good friend. We even have expectations of acquaintances, right? If we go to a coffee shop several times a week and it's the same barista, after a while, we're gonna expect that they know our first name and maybe know our order. We have those kinds of expectations all the time. We expect somebody to stop in their car at a stop sign. We expect people in the South to wave and to say hello. And, and you know, you don't have to go five minutes outside these doors to be disappointed. That friend isn't gonna be able to answer the phone every time you need them to pick up. Some bozo isn't gonna stop at the stop sign and they're gonna scare the living daylights out of you on your walk. We're gonna forget every once in a while to call that parent, that parent who, who really just wants to hear your voice and maybe offer some guidance for your life from time to time. Y'all, the truth is we let each other down all the time. 
We are constantly failing each other, which means that we are constantly in this state of forgiveness or rather the opportunity for forgiveness. Whether or not we choose to grant and receive forgiveness, that's really just pointing to the condition of our heart. Now one says this, he says, forgiveness means that I am continually willing to forgive the other person for not fulfilling all my needs and expectations. And I too must ask for forgiveness for not being able to meet all the needs and expectations of me for in truth, no human can do that. No human can fulfill all our needs, not a spouse, not a child, not a parent, not a roommate, not a friend. And it's important that we check ourselves on our expectations of one another, especially if you have that friend or, or that family member that's basically a saint. Y'all know who I'm talking about, right? Like they, they make, it, make it pretty hard. They set all of our expectations on, on what they're able to deliver for us. And we have to remind ourselves out loud and often that no one can fulfill all of our needs, that we aren't intended to fulfill every need. Now and goes one step further. This is where he gets me. He says, we need to forgive one another for not being God. Because when we forgive one another for not being God, then we can celebrate one another for being reflections of God's love. That hit me, that, that makes sense to me because often what I'm looking for in another human is unconditional love. I want that person to see me and care for me no matter what mistakes I make. And the only person who can realistically offer that kind of un- unconditional love is God. Everyone else is gonna fail us at one point or another and we certainly are gonna fail others who expect that from us. But if we can forgive each other for not being God, then we can celebrate one another for being reflections, albeit flawed, of God's love. Before you go thinking that I have forgiveness figured out, let me assure you that I do not. In fact, after the sermon I preached two weeks ago on forgiveness, I had six people call me and say, okay, Dawn, I was listening. You said forgiveness is when someone punches you in the face and then you don't punch back, right? Well, I did that this week and let me tell you what happened. I kept getting punched. What do I do? I don't think I've ever felt more helpless than on the other side of that phone. I don't know what to do. The road to reconciliation between people is unique to every single person, every single context. And there are times where I think it may not be healthy to forgive. Y'all, that's where Jesus and I differ. Because in this text, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? Right, he offers that up as like, that's a generous, difficult task. It might take me a lifetime to forgive seven times. And Jesus says, no, 77 times which tells me that Jesus knows forgiveness is messy work. It's not a one and done deal. Forgiveness, it's a process of the heart that doesn't happen overnight. It can take months, it can take years, it can take decades, it can take a lifetime. 
the image on the front of your program, or if you're listening later, it's beside the podcast. This image was shared with me by my friend Betsy. And a version of this hangs in her office. It was given to her by her grandmother. And it represents the 77 times we are asked by Jesus to forgive. You'll notice that the marks, they start out really clean and clear cut. And then as you go towards the end, they start to blur together. Several markings, one on top of the other. It's like never is enough. Like there could never be enough. Betsy's grandmother gifted her this piece of artwork and she gave one to each of their family members when her daughter, Betsy's aunt, was killed in a driving accident by a drunk driver. It was at that moment that forgiveness became real, real to that grandmother. You see, the aunt, Betsy's aunt, had just gotten married. She and her husband, they were in a car and they were driving to look at furniture to fill their new house and they got hit by a drunk driver and he survived and she did not. And the driver was sentenced to a death penalty. And when Betsy's grandmother learned of this, she showed up at the court to suggest otherwise. She says at the beginning, it was unbearable. Each mark was painstaking to make. It's why they're so clean and distinguishable. They took so much time. And then the more she did it, it became even harder to lift the pen to stroke to the another. Every time she would think of her daughter, which was, of course, all of the time, she would have to struggle again to forgive. This image rings true for her because she says there are never enough moments to forgive. And then after every time, the marks, they just bleed and blur into one another, fluid until it's just a constant state of her heart. To accept that the world is not as it ought to be, to accept that friends and strangers alike will let her down, to accept that the only one who can offer her what her heart desires, unconditional love, isn't in human form here, but is from above. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Jesus is not saying that it's easy to forgive. He knows it's not. He knows that it takes time inside ourselves and it takes some adjustments of expectations and, and it, it takes creating appropriate boundaries so that we don't just keep getting punched in the face. And Jesus knows that no path to forgiveness is the same. It changes, even with you, with every single person you meet. And Jesus knows that it's going to take some time, maybe years, maybe decades, maybe a lifetime. It will take so many tally marks that we will run out of ink and we will have to lift marker after marker. And the lines that start out clean and prepared, will blend together, blur together the continual process, the ongoing process it is to forgive. 
Lord, how many times do we forgive? Seven? Seventy-seven times, Jesus says. Lord, help us. Amen. Inside your throat, every crumpled little note, every idle dial tone, every hook you hung it on, everything you should have said, everything you said instead, word you spoke in jest or hate, every word you'll ever say. quietest it has ever been <laughs> coming back from holy interruption. Um, I'll remind you all that all of the bread today is gluten-free and I'll have grape juice in my cup and there will be wine in the other cups and the other stations. So we invite you to find what you need. Jesus asks a lot out of us and he knows that he is asking a lot, which is why he also says, you who are weary, you who are heavy burdened, come to me, and I will give you rest. We approach this table knowing that we don't set the guest list, that everyone is welcome and celebrated here. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give you our thanks and praise, O Lord, for you fashioned the world and all that is in it, and you designed each one of us unique in your own image, and you love us more than we know how to love ourselves, more than we know how to love each other. 
We give you thanks that you love us so much that you sent to your son Jesus to live and walk among us, to teach us and stretch us toward your kingdom. Shape us today, O oh Lord, as we give, as you give us this good food and you strengthen us for the work of following you. We praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. now as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed by his friends, he took bread and after giving thanks for it, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take, eat. This is my body broken and given for you. Don't forget me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Take, drink, don't forget me. Scripture says, as often as you and I eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim Christ's saving grace until he comes again. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for filling us up with good things, for the company we keep, for the call that you place on our lives, for the reconciliation of this world. Give us strength, O Lord. May it be so. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. getting overwhelmed by the state of the world, by despair, when I'm looking at what's happening in Ukraine, I hear that song. And it settles me and it reminds me who's in control. And it reminds me who holds this world, who it belongs to, who we belong to. So as you go from this place, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the interruption that is the Holy Spirit may it be with you and with all those you love, and with all those nobody loves. Go in God's peace. Amen. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.